covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thanks so much for being with us. Another week, another set of unfortunate circumstances regarding baseball and whatever attempt is being made to actually have a season this year. It was not a good weekend, especially on Saturday where players decided that they were no longer going to uh, negotiate with owners after owners had basically been giving them different proposals that at the end of the day, from a compensation standpoint, all looked very similar and it finally came to a head where players said, nope, we're done negotiating and now we're gonna find out more information coming up on Monday. More about that in a moment. Housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast that we always do. If you want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is on Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. You can uh, also, uh, if you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast, and you can leave a ranking and review and subscribe, that would be absolutely fantastic. I'm waiting, and maybe it'll be next week because maybe we'll have more of an idea of when baseball is actually going to return. Uh, but each week, it's like, can there be anything good happening? And it's it's just so frustrating. As I love baseball. I love baseball. If you're listening to this podcast, there is a very, very good chance that you love baseball. I have, for the most part, committed my career to the sport of baseball. So watching what has happened as the so-called negotiations have taken place, and there is actually there's been no fruit. No fruit has come out of these negotiations, and we finally got to a point where the players were done getting the same offer over and over. Uh, there's a lot of posturing. One of the things that is very clear, incredibly clear, is that every word, every sentence, every paragraph, every tweet, every anything that is being said is a very calculated thing really on each side knowing that there's going to be a grievance filed over this entire situation. And one of the clouds that's still hanging over it is the fact that they do not have a health and safety proposal and protocols in place yet that need to be in place. Uh, Most people and a lot of people who know more than me and are smarter than me really think that the health and safety stuff is going to get worked out and that's not going to be a problem. I just have to wonder after all the animosity that exists between players and owners through these financial negotiations, is that going to seep into the negotiations on the health and safety? I hope not. I want to see baseball. I don't want to see a 48-game season, but I'd rather see a 48-game season than a no-game season, right? And the reports coming out on Sunday is that it's going to be more than 48. You're looking at 52, 54, 56, somewhere in there. And that Major League Baseball is going to unilaterally push forward uh, with that shortened season. Players are going to receive prorated play, uh, prorated pay, excuse me. And then you would assume it's going to be a standard postseason. Owners wanted to have an expanded postseason to be able to create more playoff revenue, but from the TV money. But the owner, the players are not going to give up anything, including allowing the expanded postseason. They're not going to, I think what they would view, bail out the owners uh, when the owners did not budge much on their on their position. So that's where we're at. And it stinks. And it's a bunch of people arguing. And it's a bunch of people not with very little movement. And it's just very, 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 very frustrating. I think at the end of the day, the thing that I – I'm most frustrated about is just how how did it get to this point where there's a lack of trust? And I know people who are older than me are going to bring up the point that baseball, you know, owners and players and labor disputes have gone on for a really long time in baseball. And I remember the '94 strike. I was I was a kid. I was 12 years old when the '94 strike took place. Uh, it, it didn't impact me in a big way. I liked baseball, but baseball not being around when you're 12 years old, uh, you, you don't completely understand it. Um, but I understand. I fully understand that labor disputes have been in baseball. And I think it was uh, – who was? It was one of the baseball insiders uh, wrote this. I think maybe it was in uh, the New York Post. So if it would have been in the New York Post, uh, that means – 
Uh, it would have been uh, Joel Sherman who wrote it. I think it was him. Basically said, call this what it is. This is a labor dispute. This is a this is a work stoppage right now as a labor dispute. Uh, there should be some version of baseball going on right now. Whether they're still in spring training, whether they've already started games, whatever it might be, there should be something happening right now. And there is not. There is nothing going on except letters, you know, harshly worded letters going back and forth between the players and owners. That's where we're at. I don't have much more to say. I'm frustrated. I bet you're frustrated. That's the number one word, frustrated, angry. I, there's There are people out there. There are people out there that don't even care. Don't even care if baseball comes back at this point. Now, it's really easy to say that. I get it. It's really easy to say that with everything going on. And maybe when um, maybe when it's back, it'll be a little bit different. But I think there's a lot of people that are just, just fed up with what's going on. And it's unfortunate that that it's happening that way and yeah that that's where we're at and if you're frustrated I'm frustrated I absolutely feel what you're feeling and at this point it seems like it's going to be a 50ish game season or or nothing and Rob Manford guaranteed that there would be baseball this summer so we're probably looking at the 50-ish game season but would it shock anybody if the owners came back and said well you know what we guaranteed that but we guaranteed it with the idea that we thought the players were going to negotiate with us and they're not negotiating so we're not doing anything i don't think that's going to happen but if it did happen it certainly would not shock me uh, also this week, the Major League Baseball Amateur Entry Draft. That means we get to welcome one of our favorite folks onto the podcast. He uh, covers the minors. He covers the draft. He does a lot of stuff for uh, Brew Crew Ball. You can uh, follow him on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. We'll uh, talk a little bit about the current state of baseball. We'll talk about the draft. We'll go through the five players the Brewers have drafted. We'll talk about some of the undrafted free agents and just the circumstances going on with undrafted free agents and why they would even sign when they have the option to go back to college, uh, signing for a very small amount of money this year if you didn't get drafted. There's not a lot of money for you. So a lot of things to get to with Brad Ford of Brew Crew Ball. We welcome Brad onto the program right now. Hey, Brad. Hey, how are you doing, Matt? I'm all right. Um, it's kind of a – now, this thing publishes late Sunday, early Monday. Like, who knows what the state of baseball is going to be by the time the people are listening to this because Major League Baseball owners are having a conference call. But, uh, let, let, okay, let me do this. What do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about the draft first or do you want to talk about the state of baseball first? Uh, let's talk about the state of baseball because I'd rather end on a happy note. Okay. That's fair. We can do that. How bad of a day in the history of baseball was Saturday? It wasn't good. It, it was incredibly frustrating because, yeah. you know, you have one side continuing to say, or both sides continuing to say, it, like, uh, no one's negotiating good faith, but you have the MLB who just continues submitting these offers that mathematically always end up to paying full players in full for 50 games. So they, yeah, they keep changing the numbers of games. They, they went with 79, which seems like such a random number. Like, where do they get it? How do they get it? Yeah. Uh, but they go with 79 and the, the payout is basically the same if they played 50, you know, like I think, Rob Manfred has now more publicly than ever looked like a fool. Um, I think in the beginning, the owners controlled a lot of the strength in the PR side of things. I think at this point, it's very obvious that they look foolish. And unfortunately, when Rob Manfred and the owners get judged in that way, the entire MLB in its whole, including the players who are on the MLBPA, end up looking bad because of it. Yeah, everybody looks bad. I mean, there's we can we can go find where we want to place the blame, but I think there's culpability on both sides. I'll say this and I have more often than not kind of sided with players. To me it's yeah, I know they want the prorated salary and I, I completely understand why, 
But the reason for me, maybe you'll disagree with this. For me, I think the reason they won't back off of that is actually a trust issue more than anything else. If the players trusted Manford, if the players trusted the owners and knew that they would take care of them on the other side, then I could see the players being like, okay, we'll take less money this year. We'll do what we need to do to have baseball because we trust the owners are going to take care of us on the other side. But with there being absolutely zero trust and with a collective bargaining agreement set to come up in a little bit more than a year, the the players are, are stuck and forced to not move off of their prorated demands. I I don't know. I felt like this is on both sides a lot of posturing for one of the probably most contentious CBA contract negotiations we're going to see in baseball's history. And that's saying that with knowledge that the players have gone to strike on multiple occasions. But if they give now on money, all of a sudden the owners know that there's a loose end on it. But also, based on everything I know from the agreement and my colleagues like Paul Noonan, who is on the Milwaukee Tailgate podcast with me, who is actually a lawyer. Um, like the contract they were given in March, even though there might have been some uh, not on paper handshake agreement that there were the condition that fans would have to be there, which there's little evidence to say that whether that's true or not, the contract guaranteed the players the money whenever it was going to return. I think the players have handled this better. I think whenever you look at labor disputes, both sides are going to look a little rough, a little greedy. Um, in this case, very greedy. But I think it's important to note that, yeah, the players could have given more, but they didn't have to because this agreement was already made. And they've been like they've been negotiating over something they really didn't have to negotiate on based on the agreement that was already in place. So that's already giving MLB more. And if they give up more, they're already dealing with an organizational structure that is incredibly flawed when it comes to compensating them for the work they've done. From minor league pay to rookie pay to arbitration to the way the front office celebrates, literally hands out a belt at arbitration for screwing players yeah. over. There has been a lot of disgust brewing for a long time. And I think for the players to come out and really just say, we just want to be safe and we want our money really isn't the worst thing in the world. Um, and I, I'm hesitant to really say anything bad about it. And I, yeah, and I, I know, let you, me, let me I stop you. you. Let it off with like, I, I agree with the players on most of this, but. Well, no, my point was, there's no trust. If there's oh, trust yeah. between the two sides, I think both sides are willing to move a little bit, but there is absolutely zero trust. So, yeah, if if you're the players and you're like, I mean, you know what? The owners have our back. The owners want to compensate us. The owners have always been fair to us. Let's let's give them a solid. Then we're playing baseball right now. But well, the, the players have zero trust of the owners, and, and rightfully so. Like I'm not saying they should be trusting them, but it's to me it all comes back to trust, and that's why nothing's happening right now. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair when you get down to the nitty-gritty. is If Rob Manfred and the owners had worked up a good relationship, but instead they've been managing their, their investment in their teams like stocks. They've been managing it like an investment, and it's not. You bought a toy. And sometimes you might lose money on your toy. Who cares? Meanwhile, you have the NBA where there seems to be minimal tension between the two sides. The The players obviously have their feelings about where they're going to play. But aside from that, it's whatever. They're happy to get back at it. They're happy to like work with the system that is set because Adam Silver and the owners have built that trust. Yeah. And they have that connection. I mean, I think Adam Silver in the last year has proven himself to be the best commissioner in sports. Does He still has his problems, but, um, I mean, you look at Rob Manfred as the juxtaposition to where Silver is, and it is, he has just tear, torn everything down since he took over. Um, 
I, I mean, obviously, Bud Selig was not the best commissioner, but I think it'd be hard to find anyone who wouldn't give up Rob Manford for Bud Selig right now. And, and you, nobody can prove to me that Rob Manford loves baseball. Bud Selig loves baseball. Well, yeah, and that's it. Is it? It does feel like that. And what has Rob Manfred done the entire time since he's been in charge? Tried to make the game more profitable. The changes that he's made to the play on the field, good or bad, have been to make it more watchable for a larger audience to make the game more profitable. It has not been to improve the quality of the game. It's been to improve the watchability of the game. Brad, here's the thing that frustrates me and confuses me. Actually, there's a lot of things that confuse me, but we'll go through one of them. All right, so owners want to go with a 50-game schedule, it would appear. That's what that, that that's probably what we're en route to if there is going to be a season, a 50-ish game season, full prorated play. At last talk, it seemed like the players were willing to go 72, 76 games, full prorated play. If you go to that, the, the 72, 76 the players were going to allow the expanded playoff. The expanded playoff results in big-time increased revenue during the playoffs. We, When we're talking about the difference in money, when you consider the fact that if the two options we're looking at is either 50 games prorated play standard postseason or 72 games prorated play expanded postseason, the money that you would get from that expanded postseason is not going to be all that different in terms of the difference in pay that you're paying between 50 and 72 games. Maybe there's a little bit more payroll than what the expanded uh, playoff will get you money-wise, but it's it, it's not this huge number. It, so at the end of the day, the haggling is actually over a, a relatively small number. Yeah, and that's what it's always felt like, hasn't it, with their negotiations? Is it's always felt like the owners won't budge because they want to save 20 grand. Like that much when you're talking about people with millions and millions of dollars, with hundreds of millions of dollars. And they want to tell us, well, the games wouldn't be that profitable without fans. I'm sorry, then maybe you shouldn't have publicized your new deal for the NLCS that you just signed, where you are paying or getting paid a billion dollars for one CS series. And not the World Series. Not the World Series. Yeah, not the World Series. For one side of the CS Series, up to seven games, you signed a billion-dollar deal. I mean, to be fair, there's some other postseason games and some regular season games in there, too. But your, your point is spot on. Yes. I mean, yes. They, but still, like for the amount of games that though, that contract makes up, your, it proves your point right there that the profitability of the postseason is so substantial that they're arguing over peanuts. Yeah, and, and from every I've tried to associate myself with a lot of people who are smarter than me about these things that are important, such as accounting. And when they try to run the numbers as we know it, which we do have fairly minimal information when it comes to baseball books. When they talk about losses, they are strictly talking about less profit. Not loss of money, less profit. And it's insulting to our intelligence. Like, I know you, the brewers are still selling merchandise left and right. I mean, they just had a new merchandise reveal and the affordable jerseys just finally came out. Everyone's trying to get those damn new jerseys, and now you can finally get them for 140 bucks versus the 300 that they were for the first four months that they were on sale. What's the most and, expensive jersey you've ever bought? Uh, 140. Okay. I would. I'd never buy like the game ones, a because I never want to tuck my jersey, so that's just weird. Um, and b like, I don't need to know that it's like the same quality that the players wear. That's just not something that matters to me. Um, I might spend more on like every now and then I watch the like the Shuckers will and the Mudcats do charitable auctions for their jerseys. I might spend like 200 250 on a game used jersey for a prospect who I've built a relationship with through my role at Brew Crew Ball and what I do on Twitter. Okay. Um, just because it's like, hey, I'm supporting a charity and I have an additional tie to a guy I like. When I was um, when I was working for the Sky Sox, 
they did this. Uh, it was the softball challenge where a bunch of like local media and then some other local celebrities were, were part of it, and, and somehow I got selected for it. And then it was all for charity. Uh, it was because Colorado Springs had been hit by fires, and it was uh, raising money for, for fire relief. And so my jersey was, uh, was on auction, and I wanted my jersey, so my wife ended up uh, – anytime somebody would come bid on my jersey, she would end up outbidding them so I could at least have my jersey. <laughs> Well, that's nice. Yeah. So that's that's the closest thing I've ever had to to something like that. I think I cut you off if you were going to No, say. you're good. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it's stuff like that where there's, like, an additional reason, though. Right. And that's very valid is it's, like, you had an additional purpose for wanting that. It was – I mean, you still love the Sky Sox even though they don't exist in the true way that they did anymore. And that's a part of your history. You've made it a part of your identity because it's what you had to, like – eat and breathe for how many years of your life six Um, six log years brad so yeah it makes complete sense if i had that type of connection and was supporting a cause that i liked i would probably pay more for a jersey like that Uh, however in terms of a jersey off the rack nah 140 is tops and even then i'm looking for a sale i try to do like 100 tops if it's a player i really want that i know it's going to be around for a long time like keston hero all right uh, a couple, um, couple more things on this before we, before we move on to the better, better stuff. Uh, are you at all concerned that the negotiations still need to continue on about health and safety? Like the two sides have been just destroying each other and being as catty as you can possibly be in these letters back and forth, and now they still need to come together on health and safety protocols. Does it concern you that? Yeah, sometimes you you don't like the person sitting across from you so much you can't even agree on you know what number comes after one. Like, does it does it concern you that this stuff still needs to be figured out for even the fifty game season? A little bit, only because it seems like the MLB doesn't really want to have a season uh, in that regard that they can use that to continue delaying things. But all in all, no, I think MLB has to put a season on, and they realize that they cannot look bad in this regard. Right. Like they cannot put players like Cookie Carrasco, who, you know, just finishes cancer treatment, uh, you know, about a year or less than a year ago. They cannot put him at risk. And they've already agreed in their last deal to similar items that the players wanted. However, they included that disgusting waiver where it's, uh, you know, the Brewers have to sign or the players have to sign away their rights to. Uh, and like acknowledge that they're playing at risk and if they get sick, they're screwed, which is just gross. But I, I think that they can, I trust that that'll be a little bit easier. I hope it is. I don't know. I, I, I don't think the money should have been as difficult as a negotiation as it has been, but here we are. Here we are. Um, I think the players have ingeniously set the MLB to look real bad in this because uh, and we talked about this on MK tailgate which comes out tomorrow but a lot of people brought up on Twitter how the players have set up MLB where Rob Manfred they gave the organizations enough time where they can have an expanded season if they have an expanded season at pro rate play it just shows that MLB was being snooty and could have done that the entire time if they have a 50-game season, they look bad because fans want more than 50 games. They they just are set up to look awful. And if they screw over the health negotiations, that's even more of an issue. So especially when we have uh, athletes already in other organizations who just got back together, where you have a team ending, like having three players who test positive, I don't think they can pass the liability off like they want to pretend to. And, man, it's, it doesn't take a lot of upset owners to force out a commissioner. No, it doesn't. And I, I have to think, in turn, I, I wonder what if it's a consensus among owners right now or not. I mean, I know there was a, I think it was a John Heyman report said there's a handful of owners that would just rather not play. I'm sure there's a handful of owners that wish that baseball was already being played. There's probably a handful of owners that are right there with Rob Manfred. I got to think if 
I don't think ownership in baseball probably gets split very often, but if it gets split, this might be one of the times where internally there's some there's some upset with the way things are being handled. Yeah, I, I'd imagine so. But then look at the there was a group of owners that powered their way into a five round draft. Yeah, and you got the Cubs owner and the Cardinals owner saying that baseball doesn't make money. So what what do I know? <laughs> As he's buying a mansion. Right. And his team's worth $2.2 billion. But, yeah. All right. I I'm, i don't know if you can tell in my I'm – I'm so frustrated with this, Brad. Like, this – I – I, I this la- – we're recording at 8.31 p.m. on Sunday evening. When this all went down on Saturday night, I just felt like I was getting kicked over and over again. Right. Well, you also have more at stake than most fans, right? It's like – yeah, I like to get. I like to have a job, <laughs> right? So you have, here you are, and you're like, I'd like to do my career, please. And <laughs> baseball's just screwing you over. Yeah, I've, so, uh, I mean, yeah, true. But I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'll be okay. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Regardless, but you, I mean, you're in your career for passion reasons, right? You're, yes. you're being screwed out of doing your passion. I guess is what I should say because. Here you are. You just you love doing your job. You want to get back to doing it. And here here's these toddlers are arguing over nickels. <laughs> and you're like, I would just like to be on the radio again and talk about this thing I've spent my entire life loving. Uh, toddlers may be giving them too much credit. I've got a 15 month old. If she walked into one of these meetings and just smiled at everybody, the deal would be done. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get into the draft and uh, five round draft. Five players selected by the Brewers. There are some. Uh, we're starting to learn about some of the undrafted free agents that are going to sign for twenty thousand dollars, which is ridiculous. When you uh, somebody tweeted out earlier today that you know a thirtieth round draft pick generally gets better than gets like a thirty thousand dollar signing bonus, and now these guys who are the equivalent of a sixth rounder, or a seventh rounder, or an eighth rounder is getting twenty thousand dollars. But I digress, Brad. I. I love this first pick with Garrett Mitchell. I mean, you look at his tools. He's a lot of people think he had the best set of tools of anybody available in the draft. He, he's a top five player to some, a top ten players to other. Uh, I he, he falls to number twenty, which seems ridiculous. Uh, that it would end up happening that way, and I know there's some medical stuff there, but it, it's he he's dealt with it throughout his entire career. The only issue is maybe the power isn't going to be there, but there seems to be confidence that uh, the you know the power that he didn't show at UCLA was more a product of his spot in the batting order than it actually being there. Uh, this seems like a home run pick to me. Tell me I'm right or wrong. Uh, I think you're right. It's a very fun pick in a. I don't think the Brewers have another offensive player with this much overall talent in in them than in the entire farm. I and he he's one of those guys who not only does he have superstar potential because he's shown that he can in batting practice he just has insane power. But a, an 80 grade runner which for those not familiar with the 2080 grading scale, that means basically he's like the 1% of speed in baseball. That's how fast he runs. And a good defender in center field is still going to be able to produce value for most major league teams. Look at Byron Buxton. He mm-hmm. was a number one prospect more or less just because he hit worse hitting and was so fast and so good defensively. And you're looking at something that can be kind of similar to that. It's just he needs to find that power potential. It's nice to hear that as a person who had swing concerns for him in high school, which is why he didn't go earlier and a strong commitment to UCLA. But a part of reason he didn't go early enough to convince him not to go to UCLA were concerns with his swing, that he modified modified his swing and also modified it according to what his coaches wanted him to do. Basically, they tried to turn him into a Willie Mays Hayes, uh, is my understanding. Hmm. They said, oh, you can run faster than anyone on the team. Hit it on the ground. You'll get on base a lot because, you know, there's some good defenders out there, but they're not MLB defenders. You'll get on base. You'll be able to steal bags, cause trouble. Um, I think I saw that, uh, you know, he was one of a few players 
Oh, no, that was someone else. That was a different draft pick, which we'll talk about later. Uh, but, yeah, he, he would create trouble. He set his uh, a record for triples hidden because of his speed and that line drive aspect. But if he's coachable and his swing is malleable, like it sounded it was in college, that really shows good things for the Brewers, who, let's face it, have not had the best history of developing bats set in the Stearns era. I, I love the potential of him putting one into the gap at, at Miller Park or maybe even hitting out, you know, there where it's got the every once in a while when you see an inside the park home run, it's uh, it'll, it'll hit that angled out out there in center field and then we'll go all the way across. Like he just, to me, he seems like that guy that's going to create some really exciting plays on the bases. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, like, uh, someone compared him to a Carlos Gomez-esque player where, you know, the power's in there. Maybe he can put 10 over the fence, but then he can cause a lot of trouble on the bases. Hopefully a little bit smarter of a base runner than Carlos was because Carlos got himself into a lot of trouble when he was on the Brewers. But that that's still like a that was an exhilarating player to watch because of what he did whenever he was on offensively. And I think that's the type of weapon you have in Garrett Mitchell here. And it's definitely very exciting to have, especially for a guy who looks kind of bigger, like he looks kind of more muscular and he's taller. To have that type of speed is very impressive. Let's get to the second round pick in Freddie Zamora. And he played at Miami, so that's, uh, they, they've had some success, clearly, with drafting guys out of Miami. Uh, he, he's been banged up. Not that that matters quite as much this year when we're not expecting there to be a minor league season. Do you like this selection? Yeah, so from what I understand is Zamora was really back of the first round consideration entering the season. Then he tears his ACL. And any significant injury to that extent is going to throw you down draft boards pretty badly. So he gets hucked down the draft boards. The Brewers are able to snag him in the second round, which is still earlier than some people had him going because of that. He also had a flag for character because he, quote unquote, took some plays off, which I find it hard to when you're looking at a defensive wizard who's like 20 years old because he is a very good defensive shortstop. Not elite, but very good. They're going to get cocky. They're going to get lazy. They're 20. It's okay. (laughs) Like, if he's lazy one out of 150 plays, I'm okay. I'm fine with it because that maturity comes when you're making a paycheck alongside it versus just being a really good player who has some celebrity and popularity because of who you are. But he was a three-hole hitter on his team. Uh, He controls the zone well. He can make good contact. There's some potential power in his profile. Uh, It kind of reminds me of... He doesn't have a lot of power, so this might be a bad comp, but he reminds me of J.J. Hardy, where maybe with a little more zone control, but like that type of just you can put him in. You'll know exactly what you get as he continues to develop and he'll he'll he won't be a huge liability to your team. J.J. wasn't always that way, but when he wasn't dealing with ankle injuries or things along those natures, he was more or less what I imagine Freddie Samora ceiling being so i i like it i i like the diversity and the strong shortstop uh background in his defense i know a bunch of people messaged me right away and were like oh well we have bryce terang why did they draft bryce terang in 2018 if they're gonna do this in the second round pick because that's not how baseball works that's just not how it works you're drafting for so freddie zamora works in several ways as being a shortstop in a system that already has orlando arcia luis urias bryce terang all ahead of him kind of in the system right. if if terang doesn't develop you have a safety net in zamora mm-hmm. if they both develop you have a trade chip it's fine it doesn't matter it's good it's good to have that you need a shortstop at every level there's no reason to worry. All right, so on that, I, let's let's kind of pause on guys for a second because I was going to ask you about this. I've got the everybody that they drafted is a is an up the middle position player. They did not draft a single pitcher. See, see if you stick with me here. My belief on that is it there, there's more. There's more of a range in terms of developing pitchers. It's not as easy to develop pitchers. It's not as easy to find those sure kind of things. Uh, there, there's you know, more often than not with a position player, if you've got a pretty good feeling that they're going to turn into something, I think you're right more often. It's just it's more of a challenge to develop pitching. 
I feel like the Brewers made this decision with the five guys that they selected that it became a very important thing that they hit on as many guys. If they if they help out the Brewers, if they get to the big leagues with the Brewers, awesome. That's great. They did what they were supposed to do. But as what you just alluded to, if you're you don't want to have an entire draft class where you're not able to turn any of those guys into help at the major league level via trade. So when I saw the profile of players that they selected, my first thought was they were kind of hedging their bets against missing on any of their players this year just so they could have that that year's class as much as possible available to help in a in a myriad of different ways. Agree or disagree with my my general assessment there? I think there's areas of it that are correct. I think another thing is you're looking at a group of players who more or less have an advanced feel for the zone and a and good control of the bat. Joey Weimer, who we'll get to later, is maybe the one exception to that, although he showed improvements at the Cape. And all of these players had great performances at the Cape Cod League last summer, which I don't think was an accident. I think they're looking at... Players who they don't have to worry on low-level development as much mm-hmm. because that is a safety net. You're not really losing this time of development if they don't need the time that they would other players would be spending. So if you take a risky high school bat, they need to go to Arizona. They need to then go to Rookie Plus, which, well, RIP Rookie Plus, Um then they go to Wisconsin, they spend like a full year there. Then they go to A+, they spend a full year there. If they hit out of their mind, they can move up a little faster. You're looking at guys who are so good at hitting that they can probably start at high A or start at Wisconsin with the expectation that they perform well, they go up to high A and move through the system or start at higher levels in the system because of what they've already accomplished. So I think that's part of really what the strategy is here is they have more advanced development where because they're still getting time counted against that clock that I think the Brewers pay tight attention to for taking up a spot in the 40 man, you can jumpstart them a little bit more. And you don't have to worry about this lost development time becoming an issue down the road and having to put developmental players on your 40 man roster. Uh, as we move to the third round, they have another college player. He comes from Central Michigan in Xavier Warren, listed as a catcher. Brad, they they love these uh, these guys who are listed as catchers, and Lord knows if they're going to continue to move through the system and stay as catchers. Yeah, Warren seems to have a better outlook than these projects that they've done. So this is the third time in four uh, drafts that they have done this. Uh, there's K.J. Harrison four years ago, uh, who many considered a corner outfielder, first baseman. They moved him to catcher, or they drafted him as a catcher and moved him to catcher right away because he played catcher in high school and caught minimally when he was at Oregon. So they move him in a trade, and then they draft almost an exact same player in Thomas Dillard, first baseman slash outfielder. That was last year. Uh, Dillard hasn't really played much at catcher, got a few innings in, but nothing substantial, not like how they threw Harrison really into the fire with that. But those are both big body guys with a little less flexibility and athleticism in them to really adjust to the needs of catching. Warren was actually the rare instance where other teams had been looking at him as a catcher, from my understanding, because of his athletic ability. He has a good bat profile, but not where he was playing, which is, you know, shortstop, third base, uh, second base to an extent. He, but if you put him at catcher and he has that offensive profile, which is high contact, high on base, he looks a lot better as a player. Uh, The, his team was going to try him at catcher this season. Uh, obviously the season was cut short, so they didn't really get the chance to do that. But now he has a chance to develop as a catcher for the Brewers. He played catcher in baseball. Uh, he played catcher in baseball. He played a catcher in high school. And so now he gets the opportunity to develop as there. Uh, when you're looking at a guy who probably has the athleticism to quickly block balls, to react to quick pitches and extreme breaking balls, and to make quick throws a second, we're getting less and less concerned with whether or not pitcher her catchers can frame because you're looking at a guy who's three to four years out and what's coming in three to four years, more likely than not electronic zones. 
So you're not really worried about the framing as much. You're more relying on the pitchers to actually just hit their spots, and the catcher can just worry about making sure the ball doesn't get past them. I think you're looking at that type of catcher in Warren, where he's not going to be elite to the standard that we expect elite catchers to be now, but he will be a nice offensive addition who can make sure that everything stays in front of him and he throws out runners because he also has a decent arm. So I think that's what they're kind of looking for in this situation because he really does have a nice bat. Actually, uh, Driveline Baseball put together a nice little war number recently, and it's called Sea War for Collegiate War. And he was the number one player in Sea War in his division last year as a sophomore. Uh, Mitchell was number five in his division as a sophomore. And uh, Mitchell was, I think, the fifth in all of college baseball underclassmen of sophomores and freshmen in college war in 2019, because we really don't have enough data to go off of in 2020, even though they played because we don't have regressing to the mean. So Warren, I think is a pretty good pick in that you have a player who I don't think you'll really need to worry about how his bat develops. He'll add a little bit more power, but he he'll never be a great power hitter based on what he is right now. But as a catcher, you're you're looking at a guy who could hit 280, walk 380, and really be an on-base presence, two-hole hitter in a traditional sense uh, in your lineup. Any so, switch? Yeah. Yeah, it, his, his, I like his offensive profile, and it's going to be interesting to watch how, how he plays out whenever, whenever that process actually ends up starting. Uh, their fourth-round selection, you mentioned him earlier. You talk about an intriguing guy. It's it's Joey Weimer because you look at him, everything says that this guy should be a top prospect sort of player, but he's so far had a hard time putting everything together at the plate. Right, and the only time he's really showed any control is in the Cape last year. So you're looking at a guy who is definitely a major project offensively. Uh a lot of that could be he has an incredibly aggressive leg kick, which he has talked about already taming because he knew it would be a problem when major league players or uh, uh, scouts were looking at him, where basically he would bring his legs together and then swing his front leg out with a high step and try to get a lot of power into it. It never really resulted in power. Mm-hmm. A speedy guy, really powerful arm, uh, and an 80-grade mullet uh, on the back end. <laughs> Yeah, he is probably the most intriguing pick. uh, Mitchell is very exciting in a different way. And, hey, we got a lot of value in the first round. This is the type of guy who, if everything comes together, could be a surprise superstar in the fourth round. Yeah. If he starts hitting, he has the power to be devastating. And you're looking at kind of like, I guess a Brett Phillips might be a good comparison. Because he he can play really good defense in the outfield. He just needs to... Brett Phillips came into the league with a little bit more control of his bat and lost it as teams asked him to add power. Now they're asking Weimer to sacrifice his opportunity where his areas where he's trying to get power out of his bat in order to have more control, which should lead to him getting better results and hitting a couple more homers. But he... I'm really interested in him because there are scouts who say if you really tame him out, he has 60-grade tools, if not better, across the board, which is superstar-level player. Right. Yeah. So he he could be very interesting, but he's going to take the longest to develop of the five. He's he's an incredible. I'm everything you just said. Like he's just you look at his profile, and 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 it's interesting is the word, and that's good. It's going to be fun to see how that plays out. Last guy, Louisiana Lafayette, shortstop Hayden Cantrell, someone who did not have a very good offensive year in the very limited season they had in college this past year, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be indicative of who he actually is. Right. I mean, we're talking about 50 or so plate appearances in that time when he performed badly. And we're talking again about your performance not going to the mean. And what we've seen prior to this, both at the Cape Cod League and in his 2019 season, is a guy who controls the zone well, 
really makes good contact with the bat, has a little bit of power, and plays a pretty good shortstop. The expectation is that he's going to bulk up a little bit and will play better at second base. But he, a lot of scouts believe he can stay at shortstop and play an okay shortstop. I'm wondering if he's going to split time there now that the Brewers will have Bryce Terang, you imagine, at Carolina in A+, and then Freddie Zamora, you imagine, at A+. And I'm sure they'll want to continue to develop him as an up-the-middle threat, but you, I think he'll be splitting time between second base and shortstop when he plays. Uh, from my understanding is he's an over-the-slot player uh, who was kind of giving up on his expectations that he'd be drafted because, you know, he wanted to go earlier. Brewers call, they say the right number, he becomes a brewer. Yeah. So he he's a very... Again, he, he walks a lot. He controls the zone well. Shows an advanced knowledge for what pitchers are trying to do to him as a batter, which gives him the ability to really be a, a patient and successful hitter at the plate. So he he's another guy who I don't think is really going to need lower-level development. Weimer is the only one who is probably going to Arizona once they sign. I mean, they're all going to Arizona, likely, once they sign them, as long as Arizona is not open now that it's another COVID hotspot. But if they can leave the Arizona facilities open, I imagine they send them all there. Weimer's going to be the one where they really deconstruct what's wrong with his swing. Try to quiet it, try to make it less wild, which keeps him from really getting on top of pitches. His team even tried him as a pitcher because he can throw 98 miles per hour. Uh, it apparently didn't go well. Uh, but Hayden Control, I think, is just one of those guys who you're when you bring him down there, the tweaks are going to be very minimal and small because he is a very advanced hitter. And uh, again, another high performer in Seawar in his division. Last last thing for you, a, a couple the we're talking. It's now eight fifty three on Sunday evening. So by the time people are listening to this, maybe more names will have popped out. But uh, these undrafted free agents who are going to get twenty thousand dollars at most to sign, we know of two of them, and T.J. Shook and also uh, Drew Smith. Either the I know you don't, especially Smith, who it came out literally as we were starting our conversation. But just kind of what you know so far, do either of these guys do a lot for you? Uh. TJ is a career reliever for the Gamecocks. He didn't really have a lot of time to shine, but based on people who watch a lot of Gamecocks games, they really do think he is an underrated talent. Um, I haven't learned much about his profile. I don't even know like his velocity on his fastball, but I'm guessing he's a harder throwing reliever. He really didn't come out on many lists. Whereas Drew Smith is second baseman for Grand Canyon, uh, was 308 on the Baseball America top 500 uh, played well when in 2018 when he was at a d2 school the slashed 465 538 and you know played well for grand canyon too had a good slash line he'll probably be a pretty good defender at second base he takes good at bats i do think this is one of those issues where it's a guy who's just wanted to play baseball who came out and probably left money on the table I, I think he could have gotten more than 20000 if he waited a year, but there's players who are there, – there is an incredibly difficult system to understand in how this goes through. You're looking at guys making 20000 when they could make 125000 in any given year. Yeah. And anyone looking at the street says, those kids are idiots. And what are they doing? Why are they giving up the money? Like, why sign? Why not do, go to JUCO? Hell, I've said it. You're looking at players who – are 21, 22. If they wait another reason, her year to sign, they're 23. If they wait four years to her, and then it will take them approximately four years to develop into a major league starter. If they get there at that point, you'll be 33. By the time you become a free agent and barely making any money be based on how things currently operate. If you join now, it maximizes your potential to earn in your career. It's sad, but when you, your only dream in life is to play major league baseball and you're at a school just to facilitate accomplishing that dream. You're going to give up some money for the potential achieving what you believe you can achieve. And it's unfortunate that major league baseball is taking advantage of those aspirations because 
they never should have limited it to 20,000. And that was a joke. It's bad. It's very bad. It's bad. It's, it's very, very bad. You're, you're, you're taking advantage of kids who are too young to understand what they are missing out on. And for some of these and, kids, they don't even have the option really to go back to college because some colleges aren't letting the, them back. And you've got the, the ridiculously low scholarship limits in college. So a lot of these kids are, you know, they're quarter scholarships, 30% scholarships. And maybe, you know, they'll get a little bit of academic money and things like that. But there's some money out of pocket for college. Like, there's a lot going on. Right. And you have more programs being defunded. You yeah. have less opportunities to play, higher talent players coming in making it more difficult for a guy like this who had to like break his way into playing time. It, it's bad. It, it looks awful. I, I feel bad for these kids and I hope they can achieve everything. Cause now they're going to making, you know, some teams pay two seventy a week to their minor leaguers at the lower levels, uh, a minor leaguer at triple a, uh, before they get on the forty man, generally maxes at forty thousand a year, which is decent money. But think about how much they have earned for their team up to that point. It's yeah. sad. Yeah, it is. All right, uh, give me a plug for. I know you're working on a ton of stuff. What can people see from you uh, at Brew Crew Ball following the draft? Oh yeah, uh, I'm already scheduling interviews with the draftees. So if you want to learn more from the draftees straight from their mouth. Uh, you know, self-scouting reports, expectations, what they hope to achieve, where they hope to play, what they do on the weekends and what they watch on Netflix. Watch Brew Crew Ball for all of that. It's always a fun time to get to know these players and get to know not just them, but their personality, uh, not just them as players, but their personality and really get into their background and understanding them more so we can like them more as fans and really get behind them. So I'm really excited about that. I'm also going to be reaching out to some of these undrafted free agents and hopefully talking to them about their careers now uh, as they enter and maybe asking some of the harder questions about what what made them as a, you know, the 300th overall player on available to take this year. What makes you take a $20,000 thing so we can be more empathetic to their reasoning for things like that. Great stuff, Brad. I'm sure we'll have you back on the podcast very, very, very soon. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, thank you. Brad Ford joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. And that is going to do it for the podcast this week. Uh, this is how, like, Monday seems to be a day where news comes out. So if news has come out by the time you've listened to this podcast, my apologies. Uh, I know Major League Baseball owners were going to have a conference call on Monday to try to discuss what their next option was going to be. The Major League Baseball players had requested that the owners give them the return to play dates and times and all that sort of stuff by close of business on Monday. So as I record this on Sunday night, I can only assume that there are going to be notable things that are happening on Monday. Hopefully next week when we're talking to you on this podcast, we're actually getting ready for baseball to be played. Thanks again for being tuned in. We'll talk to you next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.